Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's a recession. No, it's a boom. The economy is falling off a cliff. No, it's white hot. The Fed is totally clueless. They know nothing. No, the Fed knows exactly what it's doing. Sister, daughter, sister, daughter. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. That's where we are right now, and it's like this every single day, including this one where the Dow ultimately advanced 70 points, but the S&P declined 0.02%, and the Nasdaq lost 0.39%. What a perfect metaphor for this situation. Today was a textbook case, frankly. At 8.30 this morning, we got an astoundingly strong jobless claims number. 206,000. That's the lowest number since September, and about 20,000 lower than the median expectation. Okay? The unemployment rate here, it hasn't been this low in this country since 1969. These are boom time numbers. There's no denying it. They signify the continued tightness of the labor market that's driven wages up more than 3% year over year. Score one for the rate hikers. Now, I personally am glad that people are finally able to make a little more money than they did the year before. Some areas of the country have hardly any unemployment, so naturally the wages are going to go higher. Other areas have government-mandated minimum wage loss. Still, with this incredibly low jobless claims figure coming right before next week's Fed meeting, it's easy to see why they might want to hit us with one more rate hike to tamp down wage inflation. I get that. But then there's the other side of the ledger. We've got plenty of deflation, too. There are many different goods that are coming down in price thanks to the sudden collapse in oil. And that happened since the last Fed meeting. Those savings are starting to filter through the whole system, and they, they affect just about everything. Who doesn't have energy costs? Of course, we have retail sales tomorrow, an industrial production number, and I think they're going to be bountiful. I'm betting the aggregate retail figures will be strong, in part because of cheaper gasoline. That means consumers have more spending money. But the last few retail earnings reports, boy, they may be queasy. They indicate we're seeing a pretty severe downtick in sales. I didn't like the negative same-store sales numbers from Dave & Buster's we got the other day. Yesterday, Signet Jewelers, remember we went to see them at, at K? They told us that Christmas is promotional. American Eagle Outfitters, which had been red hot, gave us a disappointing forecast. Taylor Brands, the holding company for Men's Warehouse and Joseph A. Bank, saw its stock get slaughtered today after a very weak quarter. We got a research note that told us that Best Buy is having some weakness. These are all in contrast to what the national retail sales figures aided by lower gasoline will probably tell us. Energy itself is problematic. Procter & Gamble caught a big upgrade from Merrill Lynch today. The stock soared in response to a price target boost of 95 to 108. They say organic growth is good and costs are low. Get this, price increases are sticking. You know, we had a positive note on Clorox yesterday. Same story. Price increases are sticking. There's only one problem. The price hikes were, are largely being put through because of 
higher energy costs. Now energy costs are coming down, but the price for the consumer is not coming down. There's a word for that. That's called inflation. When we get industrial production numbers tomorrow, I think it's going to be big, bolstering the case for an immediate rate hike. But so much of industrial production is linked to the no longer booming energy patch. I bet we're going to see a radical scale down in drilling beginning in January. It could be very disappointing, possibly even making this last strong industrial production number uh, seem like a rearview mirror. Doesn't make sense for the Fed to wait and see. I don't know. I think it does because it's not clear. Still, I think the Fed has to be very careful about construction in general and the home builder specifically. How do we deal with the fact that housing seems to be rolling over thanks to much higher mortgage rates on a percentage basis, lowering the elimination of the state and local tax deduction, reduction of the mortgage uh, reduction of the mortgage deduction? I mean, no wonder housing prices are coming down, particularly in areas that were already unaffordable for most people. We know it's only going to get worse because we're seeing a decline in the number of homes sold, especially on the coast. That is a prelude to price breaks and a spiral down that is often hard to stop. Hold your horses, though. We're now seeing mortgage rates come down thanks to a lack of demand and a pullback in long-term Treasury yields. So maybe housing rebounds. I doubt it. I think the Fed won this battle and prices keep tilting lower. But I'm also starting to see loan loss defaults go up at the regional banks. Wow, do you tighten at a time when the regional banks are starting to see loan losses go up? Now, we can play this hot-cold game all over the place. Transports fell apart today. Okay, just apart. And they're a lead for commerce. They tell you what commerce is going. FedEx hit a 52-week low. XBO Logistics, gigantic freight company, been on a lot in the show. It fell an astounding 26% off a brutal hit piece from a short-selling research firm. Does the weakness in the transport signal a softer economy as it usually does? Or is FedEx getting crushed because their costs are skyrocketing thanks to out-of-control demand for Omnichannel? Hey, it's something that happened to United Parcel at this time of the year. And XBO, well, a research firm made some devastating allegations, of which the company refuted lock, stock, and barrel. They claim the company's playing fast and loose with the numbers and management can't be trusted. Companies refuted most of these allegations before. Their accounting practices are reviewed by independent orders. But the point is... Action in the stock was specific to the company, not to the economy. Finally, there's the tug of war that even extends to individual stocks in terms of good and bad and cold and hot. Over the last few weeks, bears were spreading concern about GE, General Electric, with about $100 billion in liabilities. Could it be in trouble? More trouble than we even think. Is that what the stock going down to $6.66 means the other day? GE is so big, it could cause some real risk to the economy. Yet today, Steve Tusa, who's one of the greatest analysts of our time, told his J.P. Morgan clients that he's going from a sell to a hold on the stock. Tusa's been the biggest bear. And, and boy, was that ever right. Do you know when GE's stock was at 28? I had then-CEO Jeff Immelt on, and I questioned him about Tusa's brilliant sell call. That's right. He was trying to get you out of this stock at 28 bucks. Immelt scoffed at, at Tusa's work saying he would be dead wrong. Oops! Looks like Steve Tusa knew a heck of a lot more about GE than Emil did. Now, Tusa believes that Larry Culp, the new CEO, should be doing an equity offering to ensure that GE has enough cash to get through the wilderness, while Culp spins off and sells off assets to raise capital into this mall in this morning. If Culp does it, I bet Tusa might be tempted to go from hold to buy, because for all the GE sturm and drang, business is pretty darn good in aerospace. And that's really the whole point of this exercise, okay? There's enough conflicting evidence that the economy is slowing, perhaps even dramatically, that I think the Fed should wait and see before taking any additional action. But these big retail and unemployment numbers say the Fed must raise for certain. Bottom line, 
I'll let the Fed give us the expected quarter point hike next week. It's not ideal. However, after that, they would be nuts to keep tightening. And even one more rate hike, well, you know what? That could be the rate hike too far. They know nothing! Jerry in Texas. They know nothing! Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Jerry, what's up? Well, it's a good day. Yourself? I've been a pretty good day, thank you. The traffic was bad. Good, good. Well, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's all right. Nice. <laughs> all right. Hey, I have a question. Uh, back in November, you had uh, CEO uh, Jim Conroy from Blue Barn. Yeah, what not he terrific? On. And, uh, you know, everything sounded great. Uh, they just came off a great quarter, uh, year-over-year sales up, revenues up, forecasting 25% increase over last year's quarter. And everything looked rosy. However, in the last two weeks, it's down 30%. Is it and not amazing how, how tough this market is? You know we spoke to them twice in the last couple of months. I think yes, this sir. is a terrific situation. But the market itself now hates retail. How about we take a little longer-term view and pick some up here? And if it does have the unbelievable misfortune of going down from 16 to 12, we buy more. That's what I would do. Now we're going, because that is a good situation, not a bad one. You can, you can even ask my executive producer, who really likes the stuff, and my dog that uses the um, boot barn dog collar. Let's go to Joseph in New York. Joseph! Yes, Jim. Good evening. Good evening. Looking at Prudential, with over a 4% dividend yield, doubled its dividend in the last five years, the dividend pay, payout ratio is under 22% of earnings, trades for under 80% of book value. Can long-term health care policies have this much negative on the stock price, or uh, is it a good long-term buy at this uh, I have, I, I Look, I have always liked Prudential, but I am losing faith in the financials, whether it be long-term care whether it be possible rise in loan loss. We don't really know what Prudential's really good company. It doesn't really have that kind of exposure. But the fact is, the financials right now, there's no catalyst for them to go higher. You've got a 4.3% yield with Prudential. I'm never going to say no to a company that yields 4.3. But I do want to warn people, every financial is suffering other than the financial tech names. And unless you've got real fortitude, you should stay away. I do have fortitude. Ask yourself if you do. My Christmas wish, that the Fed will let the data dictate the next move and not be afraid to take a wait-and-see approach. Only with the Fed would prudence seem reckless. Our economy is sending some mixed signals, so let let the numbers do the talking. Oh, man, tonight, I'm talking to the CEO of Adobe, fresh off its report. Can its transition to the cloud help the stock soar in 2019 like it has the last few years? Then, China's 10-cent music strikes a chord with investors? I don't know, but what do you hear my shocking view of this stock? I am eyeing the company after its trading debut, and yeah, I sat down for a really good conversation with Wee Sing, one of its characters. Um, and as the year draws to a close, what should you make of your investments in the energy and bank stocks? Kind of like that last gentleman we talked about, Pru. I'm hunting for some value, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. When the market got shelled in October and November, the cloud stocks were right in the blast radius, and the whole group, the group was obliterated. Then a couple of weeks ago, we started getting good numbers from these companies, and they bounced right back. So can the cloud kings keep up their winning streak? You know how much I love the cloud kings. We just heard from another cloud king, Adobe, the cloud-based purveyor of digital media and marketing software that helps other companies sell their goods online, and maybe even helps you sell them online, and the numbers were good. Okay, not perfect, but Pretty darn good. Company delivered a two-cent earnings beat off a buck eighty-eight basis, higher than expected revenue. Management updated their guidance for 2019 to account for the acquisition of Marketo, which closed at the end of October. I like the updated guidance. I think it's strong. So let's check in with Shantanu Narayan. He's chair and president and CEO of Adobe to find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Narayan, welcome back to Man Body. Jim, it's always great to be back on your show. All right, well, Shantanu, these are extraordinary numbers. I mean, you're talking about 44% year-over-year non-GAAP for uh, net income. Uh, the revenues here are spectacular. What's driving what is – you're not a small company. You're a big company. These are extraordinary numbers. Give me some of the drivers. Well, Jim, I think we're absolutely in the sweet spot of two uh, massive shifts that are happening. Creativity has never been important, and when you think about creative cloud, to your point, we – drove 1.45 billion of net new annualized recurring revenue in the year, a record for us. And when you think about what's happening with digital transformation in every single enterprise trying to engage with our customers, that grew dramatically. We had some incredible product innovation that we showed at Max that always attracts new customers to the platform and some key strategic moves. The acquisition of Magento and Marketo, they're off to a great start. So uh, if you look at our FY19 targets as well. We continue to expect this momentum to continue. Well, we have not spoken since those two terrific acquisitions because I happen to love both those companies and was just so thrilled when you bought them. What have they done both to your top and bottom lines? Well, when you think about what Magento does, uh, it really completely closes the loop with respect to everything we've been doing for B2C companies in terms of having the leading commerce solution. And uh, that's off to a great start. In fact, revenue has exceeded our expectations uh, in the few months that it's been part of Adobe. And when you think about Marketo and what it does uh, with respect to B2B, we're now the only comprehensive platform that can help every single enterprise with whether it's high-volume email campaigns, personalization across all channels, and driving basically from leads to revenue across B2B and B2C. So exciting to have them be part of the Adobe Digital Experience Platform, Jim. Well, one of the things I think that you've done by developing the suite and continually improving on is you've now got the pulse. I was talking the other day about how I used to always look forward to see what the National Retail Federation was saying about how Christmas is. You somehow now have, with your trillions of pieces of data, a much better vision of what's happening in retail. First, how do you get that vision into what's it saying to you? 
Well, I think what's happening, Jim, is that more and more uh, business is being transacted online. And given where the central nervous system of all analytics of every uh, single large enterprise, the trillions of transactions or the 50 plus million SKUs uh, that we have access to is giving us deep insight that nobody else has. Uh, certainly, you know, when you look at what's happening with mobile across Cyber uh, Monday and Black Friday, the revenue uh, for all retailers is going through the roofs uh, in these online channels. Uh, and I can tell you among friends that the Nintendo products, things like Little Life Pets and drones uh, with both cameras and videos hopefully equipped with creative cloud products are absolutely the go-to products for this holiday season. But it's taking that insight and making recommendations for all our customers, whether they're in financial services, whether they're in automotive, to understand what's happening with the customer pulse. That's an absolutely unique advantage that Adobe now brings to them. Well, I love the fact that you work with the biggest companies of all. I mean, HSBC, Merck, some great ones. But you and I both know that your company has empowered individuals around the globe. Uh, We all know people who have been able to rise to a look of professionalism because of your company. And look, we're all personal about Adobe. I've talked to you many times about my daughter. She uses Lightroom. She has a subscription. She defies you to tell them that she isn't a million-dollar ad campaign when she's doing something. Speak about the empowerment, because I know that's the most important thing that you think you do. Our mission as a company, Jim, is pretty simple. We want to change the world through digital experiences. And so when you think about the fact that everybody has a story to tell, from a K-12 through student to the largest enterprise in the world, and this story is being told across new media types, new devices, and we have just completely reimagined the creativity process. At Max, we showed a whole bunch of new products. Uh, we think that tablets should not just be consumption devices, they should be creation devices. Wherever inspiration strikes on a mobile device, you should be able to do whatever content creation that you have. And the emotional connection then that we can enable every one of our customers to have when they tell that story, it's unbelievably unique. And we think we're just getting started because when you think about artificial intelligence, we have tens of millions of people who use our product. We have hundreds of millions of assets that are being created in our product. And we're taking all of that knowledge to make it even easier for the next person who wants to use our products to tell that story. So it's, it's something that's very gratifying and emotionally uplifting for all of the Adobe employees around the world. Well, I think it's important for uh, you have a we call you uh, one of the cloud kings, maybe our premier cloud king. And we do that because we want to explain to people that we're still early. I don't think anyone knows how early we really are in this cycle worldwide than you. Tell me how you see things progressing, where Adobe is now versus where Adobe will be in, say, five years. Well, we talked about the fact at our uh, Max uh, conference that we think the available addressable market opportunity for Adobe is well north of $100 billion. To your point, Jim, when you think about what's happening in emerging markets, when you think about how education is going to get completely transformed through the use of digital technology, when you think about what companies like Uber or Tesla are doing across industries and how digital is going to disrupt everything, we're at the sweet spot of saying, how do you use the cloud How do you use technology and how do you use AI to make all of those experiences even more engaging and personalized? So you're absolutely right. We're in the early innings. As you know, we've announced some exciting partnerships with companies like Microsoft to drive something that we call the Open Data Initiative. 
and this next generation of software as a service, we're at the center of it because we believe creating this unified customer profile and delighting them, we just started on that journey and customer expectations have never been higher. One last question, because I know I've got to wrap, but we used to think that only the only retailer who got the web uh, was Amazon. You have made it so ev- most of the retailers I know look every bit as good. That is your engine that's powering things, right? That's exactly right, Jim. And we look at it and say uh, creating that website, enabling commerce, making sure the mobile experience is delightful, understanding where you would spend your marketing dollars, Uh, the audience segmentation, the analytics associated with it. We're powering that for any business that wants to move online. Well, you changed the world, sir. You also put up unbelievable numbers. I want to thank Shantanu Narayan, the chairman, president, and CEO of Adobe, who delivered once again with a fantastic quarter. Mad Money's back after the break. Context is everything in this business. Yesterday we got, what, based, let's say, purely on the fundamentals, should have been a totally sizzling red-hot IPO called Tencent Music Entertainment. It's the largest online music platform in China. The numbers here are just downright incredible. But because context is king, the IPO was, for lack of a better word, meh. Ugh. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. With Tencent Music coming public at $13, lower than some people expected, and then rallying a buck to close at $14. On a wild day like yesterday, it felt like almost a non-event, an asterisk. So why were we talking about this deal? Because Tencent Music was the ninth largest IPO of 2018, because someday this company may be one of the largest tech plays in China, and because TME's financials are downright spectacular. In a different environment, buyers would have been clamoring for the stock. Buy, 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 buy. But at a time when we're involved in an increasingly complex trade war with the People's Republic, where we're all focused on all the ways the, Chi- the Chinese Communist Party interferes in our own economy, it became a lot harder to appreciate everything Tencent Music's got going for it. And boy, does it ever have a lot going for it. House of pleasure. It is absolutely worth addressing. Tencent Music is a great company with a cheap stock, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's worth buying. But it's certainly worth considering. Let me tell you what. First, though, uh, let's play Know Your IPO. Tencent Music Entertainment is basically the Chinese Spotify. Remember, they always have, like, the Chinese Google or the Chinese Facebook. This is the Chinese Spotify. In fact, Spotify actually owns 9% of Tencent Music after a share swap last year. So this company is literally the closest thing you'll get to a Chinese version of Spotify. Given that China is the most populous country on earth, you better believe they have a lot of users. Get this, 880 million monthly average users to be exact, although only 4% of them are paying subscribers. For Spotify, it's 45%, so in theory, Tencent Music still has a ton of room to grow. And it's not just streaming music. What I thought was most exciting when they rang the bell for the opening, there's a social aspect to all of this. There's videos, there's karaoke, there's a messaging and social media component. It makes it easy for musicians to connect with their fans. You know what? I even got on the action yesterday. I met up with one of Tencent's most popular music characters. I palled around with WeSing. Man, did we ever get a little? Turns out that WeSing loves stocks. Well, I don't know. I didn't really say much, but I could tell. Mostly, though, what Tencent Music has is scale. Their parent company, more on that later, Tencent is one of the largest digital media operators in the People's Republic. And years ago, Tencent decided to roll up the streaming music industry via a series of acquisitions. 
The result is a powerhouse that now trades under the Tencent Music label. They have an enormous treasure trove of data that they can use to figure out what you want to listen to, again, like Spotify. Piracy is so rampant in China that the Spotify model is just about the only way people are going to pay for money for music. Call it Spotify with Chinese characteristics. There's one more thing that sets Tencent Music's business model apart from its Western peers. Micropayments. And we hear about micropayments when it comes to video games in this country, but micropayments are key to Tencent Media. They have something like this in America, but in China, the micropayments economy is much, much bigger than ours. Basically, people tip. They will tip their favorite artists, bloggers, and other online personalities via all sorts of different websites and apps. They tip with money and they tip with gifts. Tencent Music is a major part of the micropayment ecosystem because they let you give virtual gifts. If you want to tip your favorite blogger with a song, you do it through Tencent Music. In the latest quarter, we have numbers. For uh, 9.5 million users spent money on virtual gifts. And these purchases accounted for more than 70% of Tencent Music's revenue. It's kind of incredible. Very few people in China will buy music for themselves because it's so easy to pirate songs there. But these guys figured out a way to get paying customers by turning music into a virtual gift. If you're trying to tip your favorite YouTube or Twitter personality or Yuku and Weibo personality in China, giving them a pirated piece of music doesn't really send the right message. It makes you look cheap. But a virtual gift? Apparently that's got a lot more cachet. How about these numbers? Let me put it like this. Tencent music growth is nothing short of incredible. So far this year, they've had 84% revenue growth. And that's without any major mergers popping up the numbers like we've seen in the past. It's organic growth. But even better, Tencent music is profitable. In fact, it's been profitable since 2016. And since then, the earnings have exploded higher. In 2016, the company's gross margin, what they make after cost of goods sold, came in at 28.3%. Last year was 34.7%. So far this year, it's 40%. That's stunning. The operating margin, what they make before the cost of interest payments or taxes, has improved even more rapidly, jumping from 2.4% to 14.5% to 22.1% over the same period. That's spectacular. Thanks to this fabulous revenue growth and stunning margin expansion, Tencent Music's earnings per share increased by nearly 250% in the first three quarters of the year. You'd think money managers would be fighting like dogs over this stock. Instead, they barely seemed interested. It's kind of astonishing. How about the balance sheet? Pristine. Very little debt. $1.68 billion in cash, even before the $500 million in proceeds from the IPO. Even better, Tencent Music throws off a ton of cash flow. Then there's the operating metrics. I mean, I gotta tell you, I'm wild about this thing. Uh, the online music business has 655 million monthly average users, and they're still growing that user base at a steady 7.6% clip in the latest quarter. They've got another 225 million monthly average users in the social entertainment services business, which has been growing faster, although in the latest quarter, uh, the growth slowed to just 5.1%. Still, Tencent Music doesn't need to grow its total user base. They need to turn these existing users into paying subscribers, and that's exactly what's been happening. In music, they're paying users increased by 36% in the latest quarter. In social entertainment, their paying users were up nearly 24%. But there's still a ton of room to expand. With only 25 million music subscribers and 10 million social entertainment customers, upside. So how come investors didn't go crazy for the deal? Well, first, over the summer, people were talking about a $30 billion valuation for Tencent Music. Instead, it came public at $13 billion. 30 to $13 billion. Low end of the price range. $21 billion market cap. And the stock fizzled uh, pretty much after it started trading. Now, if you annual, annualize the 2018 numbers, it's selling for 44 times this year's earnings. Now, that is actually sounding expensive, but it's inexpensive for a company with such a rapid growth rate. 
Even if 10 cents music earnings growth slows dramatically, say 250% down to 100%, highly unlikely, the stock will be valued at 22 times this rough uh, uh, estimate of next year's earnings. That's like a consumer packaged goods company, uh, not a rapidly growing Chinese internet play. But here's the, here's the catch. Uh, there's a good reason why people are, in, are hesitant to embrace Tencent Music, including yours truly. First, it has an extraordinarily complex corporate structure where you basically have no power as a shareholder. Tencent Music is controlled by its parent, Tencent Holdings. You're just along for the ride. Second, the People's Republic of China is a difficult place to invest at the best of times. This is not the best of times. They've got a hideous bear market. <laughs> But also, Tencent Holdings got slammed this year when the government decided to stop approving new video games. Tencent makes the hottest games on the planet right now. Fortnite. You have to worry that something similar could happen to Tencent Music if the government decides to crack down on decadent music. Sounds unlikely. But when you invest in Chinese companies, the Chinese Communist Party is always a risk. Here's the bottom line on this incredibly great fundamental story with, that is clouded with so much political risk. In a vacuum, Tencent Music Entertainment would be a screaming buyer. But in context, I'm going to give you my blessing. If you want to speculate in the stock, just don't put it in your retirement portfolio. The political risk is too great, even as the company has nothing to do with the tariffs. But if you think the trade talks will produce a workable agreement, then this may actually be the Chinese stock that you want to buy. That was easy. Bruce in Missouri. Bruce. Hello. Bruce, you're up with Jim. Hey, Jim, Bruce from Missouri. Show I'm me. the Kansas City Chiefs, man. Booyah. I'm loving the Chiefs. They're my backup team now. The Eagles seem to be in a little bit of a jam because Andy Reid's the greatest. How can I help? I got Tyreek okay. going Okay, quick mm. question. JD.com. Is it a buy? The no, I just actually did some more work. Some of our firm put out a piece on JD.com yesterday. It confirmed my thinking. This is still not the one you want to be in. And remember, we don't like a lot of the Chinese stocks. It's just too hard. No, nothing against like a whole country or anything. But, you know, look, let's face what's going on between the two countries. All right. Tencent Music's numbers, they are pretty incredible. I was skeptical. But if you're not anymore, it's just I'm worried about political risk. But if you feel are feeling adventurous, this could pay off. But you need to be well aware of the risk reward when it comes to this Chinese stock and all the others. I would say it's not for the faint of heart. What's more mad money at? Does your portfolio have what it takes to survive the unknowns of this market? I'll be the judge when we play MI Diversified. Then, is this an inflection point for the banks and oil plays? I'm giving you my take, and it's sobering. And what are your calls? Rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Trade. Housing, the Fed, energy, the list of variables that can impact your portfolio seems never-ending. However, one way to protect yourself from a dynamic environment is to make sure you build a diversified portfolio that can hold its own in the face of change. And that's why we play on my diversified. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holders to tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough, or maybe you need to mix it up a little because you're going to get hit too hard from one sector. So first up, we have a tweet from at Workday, Workday, at Workday Baseball, who says, Amazon, Ida Slaps, United Health, Waste Management, Square, hashtag MI Diversified, Mad Money, hashtag Mad Tweets, RIP Bug, oh, hashtag Adopt, Don't Shop, get out of that kill center. Bug is the dog who died. We got a new dog named Bob Marley. Okay, here we go. He likes two names. He answers to both. Uh, if you have a treat. 
Okay, Amazon, yes, world's biggest, uh, let's call it, uh, retail machine. United Healthcare, whoa, is there anything better than that when it comes to health insurance? IDEX Labs, that's pet care, and we know that's a booming area. Waste management stock just never goes below the 90s. We know what that is. And then Square, Saul Frere, Sarah Fryer last night at Mark Benioff's time, uh, person of the year uh, uh, gala. All right, so we have a payment system. We have a healthcare. Um, we've got a, a retail web. We've got a... Uh, uh, pet, and we've got waste. I think that that's perfect, actually. That's a really good portfolio. I like it. I like the growth aspect. That's a growth charge portfolio. Michael, in my home state of New Jersey. Michael! Hey, how you doing, Jim? Big booyah from Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. Franklin Lakes! We got people here from Franklin Lakes. Let's go to work. Awesome. So I got Alibaba, Apple, Amazon, Exxon, and Facebook. All right. I got to do work here. I think we got a little bit of overlap. I'm not sure I like this. Okay, Exxon, largest oil company. So, geez, the yield's really growing because the stock's really going. Um, we got Amazon. All right, we're cool with that. But Amazon and Alibaba, do we really want that? I will bless it only because I'm saying this is an international stock and this is a domestic stock. Some people feel I'm not being rigorous, but that's where I'm going. Apple and Facebook, uh-uh, no, 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 no. We have way too much internet here. Um, we never, well, we say own Apple, don't trade it. So we are going to... Sell, sell, sell. Facebook. And let's bring in United Health. That we championed that in the last caller. That will make me feel better. Got a little income here. I like that. And again, only blessing this because it's from different countries. Otherwise, what we would want here is a diversified industrial. Uh, I can't do a bank. Let's go to George, my old home state of Pennsylvania. George. Hey, Jim. How are you? Greetings from Philadelphia. Oh, my. Jeez, I'm on the bus. Although, geez, let's hope the Carson Wentz feels better. Let's go to work. Uh, it's bad news. At least we have Nick Foles as our backup. Nick's the real deal, number nine. Let's go. We're going to need him. True. Hey, you know what? We ought to do stocks, too. Let's do that. And what are your five? Johnson & Johnson, Boeing, Norfolk Southern, John Deere, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Ooh, I sense greatness from Philadelphia. I sense greatness. Yes, John Deere, agricultural killer. Don't forget, the corn is also doing well, not just soy. Boeing, yes, aerospace king. J&J, one of my favorite stocks. Been recommended to all members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Alex Corsi doing a great job. Go Army. Norfolk Southern's transport held up very well in the assault on the transports today. And J.P. Morgan, a fortress bank, a bank, a rail, a pharmaceutical, a aerospace, and an ag. Wow, I didn't even know they even made them that good. Okay, let's go to Jim in Colorado. Jim! Hello, Mr. Kramer. I'm a big fan. I'd like to thank you for your hard work and insight. And for taking my call. Oh, you're a nice guy, man. Hey, uh, uh, my, uh, Ben Stato, who's a research director, is going to Colorado for vacation. It, 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 fantastic. I was there last month. I love it. Let's go. It's beautiful out here. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've got Apple. I've got Lockheed Martin, Caterpillar, Charles Schwab, and AT&T. Am I diversified? Oh. Man, Colorado rocks. Look at this. Lockheed Martin, terrific undervalued defense play coming right back because of the new defense budget that Trump just recommended. Charles Schwab, a financial that is linked to 
the brokerage business. I like that. ATT, I've now started to bless that with a 6.7% yield because they do have the cash flow. The time Warner deal is working. Caterpillar, I think the quarter that we saw, we saw some fabulous numbers this morning, double-digit growth around the planet. And Apple, yes, I think the bad news is baked in. We've got tech. We've got a diversified industrial. We've got a telco. We have a financial, and we have a defense stock. How, they don't even make them this good. They, they, no! No! Regina, I want to do more MI Diversifieds. Next week, I just got the green light. Okay, man, money's back into the break. It is time! It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? I'm in the lightning round. Because my Phil in New Jersey. Phil. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. I'm Booyah. sure you're going to like this. I am talking to you from my Apple Series 4 watch. Um, my question for you tonight is about Walmart. One of the issue, um, I bought it at $94. Wondering if it's a good stock to hold for the long term. Remember, remember there, Phil, we don't care where a stock has come from. We care where it's going. And I think Walmart stock goes high. I like the idea. It's terrific. Let's go to Stan in Idaho. They've got a lot of calls from Idaho. Stan. Hey, Kramer. Hey, I've been following your lead on healthcare stocks. And oh. in that light, I was wondering if you could spread some love on Edwards Life Sciences. The, the shareholders do that every day. That is a fantastic stock. And it's got, by the way, the best technology when it comes to the heart. Michael, North Carolina. Michael. Hey, booyah to you, Kramer. Booyah. Hey, uh, this is, uh, I want to say thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you. Real quick. And, uh... I just wanted to ask you about with this market sitting flat right now, AES Corporation has been I climbing. like a growth utility, and I like our crew, which is really why we look, we are so good, why people like us so much. It's the crew, the crew, the crew, and I like AES. I like growth utilities. Bill in New York. Bill! Hi, Jim. Happy holidays to you and your staff. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Um, I understand clearly that cannabis or CGC is your only uh, favorite cannabis stock, but I have another one that is of interest to me. They lease properties to regulated medical use cannabis facilities and those leases cover all the costs. The stock is IITR. Yeah, you know, if people want to do that, that is a pedestrian way to do it, and I think it's also because it's got a low low risk and it's got a yield, but remember, this stock is up 60% for the year, and therefore I think it's vulnerable to profit-taking. Let's go to Howard in Connecticut. Howard! Uh, hey, Jim, uh, I own a small position of IBM at $123 per share. I was thinking about adding to my position. Why don't you wait, so, use a full scale. So let's say you use $5 commission. What's them at $123? Next thing would be $118. That's what we tell the club members for ActionLunchPlus.com. We don't want you to buy it all at one level. Help your basis, and you get more than a 5.5%, about a 5.5% yield when it goes to that, that level. Let's go to Richard in Maryland. Richard! <laughs> Hello, Mr. Kramer, the venerable sage of the stock market. Thank you so much. My question's about Appian, A-P-P-N. Good Last software. Good, the- good software. Uh, you know, this is business processes, and uh, I, I do like it. Now, remember, all these stocks have had big moves, and they're all coming down. But we're going to put, it's like Zora. Somebody asked me about Zora. Down a lot, subscription economy. I like it. I'm not giving up on these, but understand that their house is a pain right now. The house of pain. Tom in Illinois. Tom. 
Oh, great, Karnak the Magnificent. I'd like to know your advice on First Horizon National. Ooh, Karnak the Magnificent. Russian prune juice. That's Trotsky. Remember that one? He goes, Trotsky, Russian prune juice. That's Johnny. I love Johnny. Okay, uh, First Horizon? Mm, man, people hate the financials so much right now. I think it's too dangerous. Um, 3.4, wait till it's 4%. I mean, I'm not kidding. The stock's a 52-week low. Oh, no, buy that. This one's $13. I like that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, includes of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Value? Buy, buy, buy! Or value traps? Sell, sell, sell. That's the question money managers who own the oils and the bank stocks are asking themselves right now. Once again, after just still one more hideous day for them. I found myself mulling over how I could have seen value in two cohorts that trade like they're valueless. And if you own the oils or the banks, it's hard not to feel like an idiot. Yesterday, for example, I got a call in the lightning round about an obscure bank stock. I reacted viscerally, saying that I didn't want, didn't, didn't want the car to go there. Not willingly. Not go into the... The house of pain. Not long after, an ActualAlertsPlus.com club member correctly called me out on Twitter, asking how I could keep a couple of bank stocks as ones, meaning stocks that I recommend for the charitable trust, if I hated the whole sector. My response? There's still great value in some of the banks, but at the moment, the market simply doesn't care. Then this morning, I'm watching Worldwide Exchange, hosted by my friend this morning, Dominic Chu, and he has a portfolio manager where he sees value in the oils. This manager says they're great buys, in part because they seem to stop going down as fast as the price of crude, which has plummeted more than 30%. That makes, me, that, look, that makes sense to me. It did. While it's been foolish to own the banks and the oils here, I think it's maybe just as foolish to sell Goldman Sachs down here at seven times this year's earnings, maybe one of the 10 cheapest stocks in the stock market, or Anadarko Petroleum, say one of the best oil companies in the world that's been completely poleaxed. So what stops me from pounding the table and just telling you, buy, buy, buy? Two things. First, there's no catalyst in the near-term or medium-term future to change this. Sure, the banks and the oils represent value here, but that doesn't mean they're going to go higher in the time frame most investors care about. It's a question of opportunity cost. For the moment, there are so many other sectors with better prospects and beaten up stocks. Second, I just feel beaten up myself. These stocks are behaving horribly. They don't go up on on good days. And on bad days, they just plummet. They trade like business will never recover. Why? Well, here's the crux of the issue. It's not really about the fundamentals anymore. I can talk about the slowing economy or the yield curve or commodity risk. But that would miss the point. The problem with the banks and the oils is that they have no natural defenses. In other words, their stocks are prey with no ability to help themselves. Look, if this were any other industry, these banks would simply take themselves private or be acquired by their competitors. Goldman's selling for less than its tangible book value, for heaven's sake. Now, that means if you shut the doors and liquidate everything tomorrow, you'd get more than $175 per share. That's where the stock's currently trading. That doesn't happen. It's not supposed to. It's insane. Normally, a high-quality company with such a pitiful valuation would get taken over or be taken private, but that's not going to happen here. You don't see any mergers because there's already too much concentration among the big banks. Goldman could merge with a Fidelity or a U.S. Bank Corp., both of which would send the stock screaming higher. But I don't think that's in the cards, even though I think it should be. Without the possibility of M&A, what's protecting you here? Well, there's not much in the way of dividend or buyback protection. Not a lot of growth. That's what I mean when I say the stock has no natural defenses. You know what they're like? 
I've been thinking about this because I like TV. They're like that snowshoe hare being chased by the wolf every day. I mean, that's not an easy match. And the regulars wouldn't let them roll out huge dividend boosts or a monster buyback, even if they wanted to. So if your portfolio manager needs some financial exposure, you know what they do. It's so much easier. They go buy FinTech, right? They go buy MasterCard. They go buy Visa. Those are growth stocks that let you sleep at night. I think Goldman will eventually bounce back, but I would sell it otherwise. But Goldman's got very little control over when that happens, and it might take a long time. My Chapel Trust has that time frame. I don't know if you do. How about the U.S.? Honestly, they should be merging left and right, but they aren't, and I don't even know why. I mean, aside from a couple of the majors like BP, most of the U.S. don't have any national defenses, either no sizable dividend or buyback protection. BP's got the dividend. It's not really helping it that much, but it's not, you know, at least it's got some place to go. People would rather own consumers of energy, like the utilities, rather than the producers. At the moment, the utilities have more growth and better dividends. It's almost farcical. And, you know, everyone hates fossil fuels, don't they? So why bother? I simply don't believe it's possible for a stock like Goldman Sachs to stay this cheap versus its tangible book value and its earnings for that long. It's never happened before. I refuse to run from the oils down here when I think that the price of oil can stabilize at 49 to 50. And remember, I was a big bear in the oils uh, higher, particularly on oil, oil price itself. But can you run to these stocks? Oh, boy, I want to tell you to. I really do. I just can't figure out what changes to bring the value out anytime soon. To sell now, though, seems too emotional, too reactive, and, yes, too defeatist. Maybe, of course, that's exactly what a bottom looks like, a point of maximum pain. I certainly hope so. But I simply don't have enough conviction to pound the table, lest it be filled with thumbtacks and rusty nails. Stick with Kramer. the word treacherous in this market is a good example. Costco reported a really terrific quarter. Remember what I told you? It was going to go down no matter what because it had gone up. Well, sure enough, they reported a terrific quarter and it's going down. I mean, it's going down. Why? Because it's a treacherous market and people don't know what to do. If you don't know what to do, sit on your hands. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I'll see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.